Welcome to The Art of Medicine, the program that explores the arts, business, and clinical aspects of the practice of medicine. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and today I have a special guest, Justin Allison. Welcome, Justin. Thank you, Dr. Wilner. I just want to you know, extend tremendous gratitude, obviously, for uh, the opportunity to uh, jump on your show and uh, have a little chat with you today. So I'm excited. I'm fired up to discuss uh, locums and everything that's going on right now. So thank you. Well, thanks for uh, joining me during these uh, difficult and strange times. Well, today we're going to talk about the business of medicine. And part of the business of medicine for physicians is uh, getting a job. And uh, there's about 50,000 physicians in the U.S. now who work locum tenens, as I did for many, many years, and uh, I even published a book about it. It's a pretty interesting uh, topic, and I understand that you're also in the locum tenens uh, industry, so tell me, uh, how did you get there, and what is it that you're doing now? Yeah, um, so I've I've been in healthcare uh, staffing for, I mean, almost 17 years now, so for a very, very long time, got into it super early. And uh, focusing on locum tenens specifically now, um, that is the, uh, the focus of, of our company, Aero uh, Locums. And I've uh, been, been after it now for, for several years and really enjoy working with all the providers and clinicians, you know, the uh, physicians in both advanced practice uh, providers that we work with. And it's growing, uh, especially, uh, you know, with the pandemic, but also just generally speaking, locums continues to grow like the, the number you mentioned 50,000 physicians uh that's just going to uh you know surge and spike over the coming years especially the next you know five plus years the the uh, forecast it just has the trajectory going up so more to come well first of all let me say that it's april 15th 2020 yeah. and we are in the midst of this covid 19 uh, pandemic which of course is uh, everybody knows about and it's changing right. everyone's uh, lives. And so today I thought we could talk about how is it changing the locum tenens industry. You work as a, basically an agency, right? Where you match right. positions to physicians and advanced uh, practitioners like nurse practitioners. And uh, so there are openings and you're kind of the, the in-between person that matches them up. Is that right? That, yeah, that's correct. And so um, we obviously were, there's kind of two halves to it, right? We have the client side with our hospitals and clinics, and then there is the provider side. So our physicians, our nurse practitioners, MPAs. And so we're, we're the, the uh, intermediary between the two, if you will. So, so I've been hearing that there are two stories. One story sure. is physicians are seeing fewer patients closing their offices, dermatologists, for example, shutting their doors. My, my right. mother is in the midst of a dermatologic uh, procedure, and she told me the doctor closed his office. Uh, on yep. the other hand, the people in the intensive care unit can't get enough staff. So right. what are you seeing from the client side? What kind of phone yep. calls are you getting? Yeah, so as a complete side note, it's interesting. So we're we're headquartered in, in our office business complex. There's actually a lot of medical offices here. One of them, literally right outside, across the, the I guess the the street, is a uh, dermatologist, and they have been shut down for the last three plus weeks, three and a half weeks. So, uh, but what we're seeing, so to go back to 
a specific moment in time. It was the uh, week ending of March uh, 13th when things really broke loose, I guess, uh, for us here in California. So as a side note, we're headquartered in, in Northern California and we focused on the West Coast, California, Oregon, and Washington. And uh, so it was week ending March 13th and uh, when things really just kind of started getting crazy for us in the locums world and you know our, our business specifically. And we saw an instant like surge of emergency medicine physicians, urgent care providers, even family medicine and primary care, right? Those are probably the four initial uh, specialties uh, that we recruit for in our matrix that we saw just a, a spike in jobs, right? From clients and clinics that we had never, we hadn't seen a job from in the last year or two, right? So that was the first week. So it was like, okay, well, this is going to positively impact our business in the terms of the, the demand for providers. Uh, fast forward to the last two and a half weeks, it went from like this to a steep decline, right? So to what you had mentioned, and we kind of talked about with the dermatologist, but clinics are closing down, right? Uh, providers are being uh, furloughed or, or laid off uh, that are in that really the outpatient setting the most right and then uh, from there uh, we're seeing a significant demand in half for the last few weeks in hospitalists uh, intensivists uh, critical care physicians pulmonologists so that's where the trend is now where the, the for physicians and providers that are are most in demand so say I was a internal medicine physician, I've worked as a hospitalist, yep. I'm a specialist yep. in pulmonary medicine, and I've got uh, two weeks of vacation and I want to help out. If I give you a call, would I have a job opportunity? <laughs> yes, uh, and I think that might be a bit of an understatement right now. You probably would have several uh, opportunities. And and to, to couple um, with that is not only more opportunities for those select specialties, rates obviously are significantly increased during this pandemic, right? A lot of the, which is, which is smart. It's, it's, it's a critical response situation, right? Or rapid response, however you want to look at it. And in these uh, events, right, uh, we've had different versions of these types of events in the past. Um, and most, one of the ones I worked through personally was the uh, swine flu pandemic, right? Um, which we saw also increase uh, in the demand for clinicians at that time too. So, so yeah, so you're, uh, if, if you are looking like, hey, I just, in, there, uh, there's a lot of physicians that they just want to help because that's, you know, they're in their DNA, right? That's what, that's their whole purpose. Their, 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 their passion is to help, you know, those in need, right? Positively impact the lives of those in need. So, um, if you want to help, right, or to your point, if like, hey, you know what, I can help, right? I have an, a week a month here or two weeks a month there, and I, I do want to help. Um, it, it, there's, there's a ton of opportunity for those certain specialties right now. Um, now one of the big barriers to helping yeah. in the past has been licensing and credentialing. Yep. Now, I know there have been changes or trying to liberalize that so people can actually get to where they're needed. Have have you been able to take advantage of any of those changes? Yeah. So actually, uh, we just sent over uh, just yesterday another batch of providers that um, are not licensed on the West Coast. So keep in mind, we only special, we only place on the West Coast, right? So we just sent over another uh, batch of providers uh, for the, the EMSA, right? So to get them that temporary recognition for, uh, to be able to practice, right? For example, in California, if you have a license in Ohio, 
you can get approved and it only takes like two to four days uh, outside of the normal things that you have to collect on our end to get somebody presented considered and then ultimately you know credentialed which again everyone's doing emergency privilege credentialing so that's you know a whole nother topic but for this specific to get recognition um, is that you literally only need to send in two things, your driver's license and your current state licensure, right? To be put on this list, to be presented, to then receive that temporary recognition. It's, it's fascinating what's happening right now. Like literally like all the rules are off the table in other words. Right. So I, you know, I'm personally, uh, I've, I've researched this and studied this and suffered personally from it. It took me, I think, eight months to get my current Tennessee license during which, you know, right. uh, I don't sit around and twiddle my thumbs. It's a good thing I have other, you know, interests, but you know, I'm waiting sure. to go to work and the paperwork. Oh, we need this. We need that. Oh, we lost that. Can you send it again? And so yeah. maybe, you know, at the end of all of this post COVID, some of these regulations will they'll realize that they really weren't serving a purpose and right. uh, maybe they won't reinstate them that's uh, kind of our hope it's like the other thing is uh, very similarly telemedicine also if i'm in tennessee and i want to do telemedicine oh, wow. with someone in california i gotta have a california license they've thrown that out the window um, right. although it is state specific um, there's about half the states that have relaxed and about the other half have not. I looked at a chart the other day and I'm sure it's, you know, changing every day. So don't just assume you can go anywhere with your sure. license because it's, it's always, you know, the states are the ones that control. But have you seen any changes in your practice with telemedicine or do you not? Oh, so the, the number one, I guess, change is the amount of providers that we talk to on a daily basis that are wanting to do telemedicine that are only doing telemedicine right now, virtual care. Uh, so, I mean, it's been a huge boom on from, at least from the provider side of, in terms of who we talk to that, uh, that there is a grow and that there's also a growing demand for that as well. Right. So absolutely. There's been a significant change. And I think to that, to that point, which, if, you know, is, it was pretty obvious that going back like two years ago that uh, eventually over time, telemedicine was going to become a bigger and bigger part of, health, of the healthcare system, right? And I think this is absolutely accelerating that um, because of the pandemic, well, which I think is a good thing for, for, for a lot for certain specialties and, and certain types of, of, uh, of, of patient care visits. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I'm just curious. Yes, well, not surprisingly, I actually have thoughts about that. <laughs> About uh, six or seven years ago, when maybe even more, 10 years ago, I wrote an article about telemedicine, you know, this new thing. And I sure. thought it was a terrible idea because you're distancing the doctor from the patient. You're, you're laying on of hands, you know, that intimacy that you have in the room one on one. And the subtle things that come out during a personal conversation are all going to be missed. Yeah. However... A few years later, uh, with TPA for stroke, I'm a neurologist, we realized that we couldn't have a neurologist at every single small hospital 24-7 right. to administer and check the patient, are they appropriate for TPA? So I actually worked with the Mayo Clinic uh, for over a year with their, in, their, in their telemedicine program where we reached out to area hospitals, some actually thousands of miles away but you know with just like us you're in california i'm in tennessee sure. once you're once you're hooked up it doesn't matter and we found that telemedicine for acute stroke 
actually worked very, very well. And it, there's been actually research showing that the outcomes are no different from the in-person neurologist to the telemedicine neurologist when it comes to stroke. Of course, that's a very specific kind of contained right. uh, problem. But I've become, that may, it makes sense. I've become more and more a fan of telemedicine, particularly if it's telemedicine versus nothing. Right. So, in fact, I, I asked my own personal physician the other day, I said, you know, are you doing telemedicine uh, visits? Because, uh, you know, we don't want to go out unless we have to. Right. You know, and get in right. the car and drive and be exposed to the virus. You know, everybody's staying, you know, shelter in place. So I'm thinking, well, what if I have to go to the doctor? Or I have some question or, you know, that cough won't go away. What do I do? He said, and yes, they are. So I think my other hope is that, again, when all this is over, that the requirement that uh, Medicare has waived now that you have to have a license in every state. I mean, there are telemedicine doctors with 25 state licenses because sure. they're you know, all over the country. And, you know, that's a few hundred dollars per license, plus keeping up with uh, all of the CME that's different in every state. You know, it becomes a whole bureaucracy and they all expiring on different dates. I mean, I wrote about this in my book, in the credentialing and licensing. Uh, it becomes a huge bureaucratic uh, overhead, you know, just to get to work. You've got to have all the yeah. all this paperwork. So uh, COVID has said, has shown that well, doesn't really matter. You know, your physicians are by nature, I think, responsible people, right? I mean, it's very rare Absolutely. you get some irresponsible person that's going to go through medical school and residency and pass all their exams. It requires way too much discipline and sacrifices to get to where you're at or every provider has to to get through medical school, residency, fellowship, et cetera. So let me touch on a more delicate uh, topic. Um, one, one thing I actually, one thing I just want to add to that one, just fun fact that for the whole telemedicine, this, I read this uh a while back ago, well before the pandemic. And it's kind of like to what you pointed out, very specific to, to, uh, to neuro, but is that it was like over 70% of emergency room or urgent care, immediate care visits could be done through telemedicine. And so it's going to wildly impact a lot of, a lot of specialties. Oh, I think so. As a neurologist, for example, yeah. uh, I have epilepsy patients. They need to have their drug levels checked. Right. Have you had any seizures? But their exam, you know, which is hard to do by telemedicine, you can do it a little bit, isn't all that important for a routine follow-up visit. Those visits could really be expedited better for the patient, better for the doctor, and uh focused, uh, I think, with telemedicine. So I'm hoping that uh, we'll learn from this experience. Correct. Now, let me get to this delicate yeah. issue. Yeah. You know, uh, some physicians, in fact, I, I forget the, I think it's something like 10% of the 1 million or so U.S. physicians are 70 years old or above. And most of those are males, because in the old days, it was mostly men that went to medical school. Now it's about 50-50. So the 70-year-olds, generally men. So 70-year-old men are in a high-risk group for having severe complications from COVID-19. 
Right. And uh, right, they're older and they're males and they may or may not have comorbidities that, again, predispose to uh, serious illness and death. Right. So given that background, have you seen any physicians who are available but kind of reluctant to throw themselves into the fray? Yeah, that, that's a, re a really good question. And it's going to be an, and probably an answer you're not, not expecting. So the first part of that is absolutely we've seen a significant uh, increase in physicians that are have, you know, retired um, or they've left a full time practice or they sold it, et cetera, uh, that maybe have been out of the, the uh, patient care uh, practice for you know a, a significant amount of time that are willing uh, to come out of retirement, right, or their temporary retirement to help out, right? So we absolutely have seen a significant increase in that. Now, the interesting thing about your question is uh, the people that are the providers that are, are hesitant or they're reluctant or they're like straight up like, hey, I don't want to travel. I'm only going to do back to telemedicine because I don't want to expose myself to risk to this virus. That has not been the audience of the demographic you just identified. It's honestly kind of across the board, and you would be surprised. It's actually some of the younger providers, right, um, from the age group you mentioned that are the ones that are telling us, like, hey, no, I don't want to travel. I'm, I'm going to stay home or I'm going back home, right? Um, so those, uh, the, the age group that you mentioned, they are willing to work. They're coming out of retirement and happy to help. And actually, and I can only speak to myself, my team, but they're not telling us, no, I, I know I'm more susceptible to this. I'm in that high risk category, so I don't want to help. That's not actually not what we're hearing from them. So there's a generation gap uh, in terms of uh, sort of, uh, you know, the approach to medicine. That's very, very uh, interesting. And, you know, I honestly, too, to that point, and this isn't just, this is for, for all the, the providers, clinicians, and this goes from, from doctors all the way down to nurses, but I just, I am so, like, humbled and grateful to work and being just, I guess, engaged on a professional level with so many clinicians and providers that are willing to go to the front lines, right? They're just like, I, like, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had and people that I haven't heard from in a long time or that just reached out uh, to, you know, someone on, on my team that are like, hey, how can I help, right? Do you have anything available for that? They're like, they are seeking it out. They're like, I'm going to go run, run straight into the harm's way. Like it, it, is, it, is, it is so amazing that there are so many providers and clinicians that that's just, it's not even a thought, for them, right? They're just like, I'm in, like, tell me where to go and I'm there, you know? So it's amazing. And I just have to, I have to extend for whoever ends up watching this, and, you know, our conversation is like just extend tremendous gratitude for all those providers and clinicians. It's amazing. Justin, I want to thank you for that. And for those who are interested, how how can we get in touch with you? Yeah, um, I mean, you can you can uh, call, call me directly. Obviously, my number is 916-778-6030. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I would definitely recommend connecting with me on LinkedIn. Uh, so just, you know, LinkedIn.com, uh, Justin Allison. And um, the company, again, is Arrow Locums. Uh, you can email me, Justin at Aerostaff, E-R-O-S-T-A-F-F.com. Um, those are definitely the best, the three best methods to, to get in contact with. That's great. So I'm going to put all of those on this uh, video. 
you know, in uh, type text. But I, sure. I want to mention that uh, this program is also available as a podcast. So you, if you're uh, listening to it, uh, Justin spelled everything out, or you can watch it on YouTube. So it's the same program, The Art of Medicine. If, uh, you know, you're driving your car, better to do it as a podcast, uh, you know, or you're going to the gym. Yeah. But if you like to watch YouTube, we're on uh, YouTube as well. Well, Justin, this has really been great. I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been uh, educational and it's been fun. And uh, it, it's really special times uh, that we're living in. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, my pleasure. And again, uh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, you know, it was obviously a lot, a lot of fun to, to chat. And, and obviously, uh, stay, stay safe and, and stay healthy. Um, and hopefully, we'll, I know we will get through this. I, I guess I just want to add that, like, is, is, uh, ha in, in these times, is, is, is be grateful, you know, have an attitude of gratitude and have that belief of unshakable optimism that we will get through this because we will. It's only a matter of time.